Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to Capital Power's first quarter 2020 results conference call. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. Following the presentation, the conference call will be opened for questions. This call is being recorded today, May 4th, 2020. I'll now turn the call over to Mr. Randy Ma, the Director of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Good morning, and thank you for joining us today to review Capital Power's first quarter 2020 results, which we released earlier this morning. Our first quarter report and the presentation for this conference call are posted on our website at capitalpower.com. To help prevent the spread of COVID-19 with physical distancing, I have Brian Vajo, President and CEO, and Brian Deneve, Senior Vice President and CFO, joining me on the call from their homes. We will start with the opening comments and then open the lines to take your questions. Before we start, I would like to remind everyone that certain statements about future events made on the call are forward-looking in nature and are based on certain assumptions and analysis made by the company. Actual results could differ materially from the company's expectations due to various risks and uncertainties associated with our business. Please refer to the cautionary statement on forward-looking information on slide number two. In today's discussion, we will be referring to various non-GAAP financial measures as noted on slide number three. These measures are not defined financial measures according to GAAP and do not have standardized meanings prescribed by GAAP and therefore are unlikely to be comparable to similar measures used by other enterprises. These measures are provided to complement the GAAP measures which are provided in the analysis of the company's results from management's perspective. Reconciliations of these non-GAAP financial measures can be found in our first quarter 2020 MD&A. I'll now turn the call over to Brian Vajel for his remarks starting on slide four. Thanks, Randy, and good morning. I'll start off with high-level comments on our first quarter results and our 2020 outlook. Overall, our first quarter results were solid and were in line with our expectations. With no material changes to our outlook, we are maintaining our financial and dividend guidance for 2020. We have a very strong financial position and liquidity that Brian will speak to shortly. At Capital Power, we've implemented various measures to manage the risks from COVID-19, with the primary goal of keeping employees safe and healthy, reducing risks, and keeping our plants operating. I'll also review the progress made on a renewable and growth strategy, which has been good so far this year. Turning to slide five, in response to COVID-19, we've implemented our business continuity and risk management plans to ensure the continued safety and health of our employees. This includes working from home for office and all non-essential plant employees. In the plants, we have implemented numerous hygiene and social distancing protocols while delivering reliable power. Overall, the company is functioning very well. We are also managing our operational risk by completing planned maintenance and enhancement outages at Southport, Roxborough, Arlington, Decatur, and Goraway. With the help of our employees and contractors in mind, we've modified the Decatur outage and have delayed the Genesee 2 outage to 2021. 
We have also used technology to enable us to operate our three simple cycle plants from a laptop. Overall, we are managing very effectively through this COVID-19 pandemic. On slide six, I'll touch on the recent progress we've made on our growth and renewable strategy. This year, we've added 251 megawatts in renewables to our fleet. This includes the completion of Cardinal Point wind project in Illinois that was completed on schedule and on budget in U.S. dollars. In April, we acquired the 101 megawatt Buckthorn wind facility in Texas that is contracted with 15 years of weighted average remaining contract life. We have signed an agreement with Vestas that set the terms for a 10-year extension of our long-term service agreements. The extension covers fleet-wide maintenance for all of our Vestas equipment wind facilities. The LTSA covers an expanded scope of services with an expected 26% cost reduction compared to current service and maintenance agreements. On an annual basis, the new LTSAs are expected to increase EBITDA and AFFO by 8 million and 6 million respectively once they all take effect between 2021 and 2023. All agreements have been, an agreement has been reached with Vestas to supply turbines for Whitlock 2, which will start commercial operations next year. I'll now turn the call over to Brian Denise. Thanks, Brian. I'll review the financial highlights starting on slide seven. Overall, first quarter financial results were in line with our expectations. The first quarter was the busiest quarter of the year for planned outages, as reflected in the 91% average availability. Therefore, we expect to generate positive net cash flows for the remainder of the year. As Brian mentioned, the major planned outage for Genesee 2 has been deferred to 2021 due to COVID-19. In the first quarter, we've had discussions with MMAX the JV partner for the Genesee 4 or 5 project and have determined that we would no longer be proceeding with that project. Accordingly, 13 million relating to the development of Genesee 4 or 5 has been recorded in the first quarter as a write-off within depreciation and amortization. Looking now at the Alberta power market, the average spot price averaged $67 a megawatt hour in the first quarter which was slightly lower than the $69 in the first quarter of last year. Both quarters included one month of higher pricing as a result of cold temperatures and baseload facility outages, while the other two months settled at moderate pricing with stable baseload supply. In the first quarter, our trading desk captured an average realized price of $62 a megawatt hour. That was 7% lower than the average spot price. Moving to slide eight, revenues and other income in the first quarter were 533 million, up 34% compared to the first quarter of 2019, mainly due to the acquisition of Goreway in the second quarter of 2019. Adjusted EBITDA was 234 million, up 16% year over year, that was largely driven by the acquisition of Goreway and the addition of Whitlaw Wind One. Normalized earnings of $0.27 per share was slightly down compared to $0.29 per share in the first quarter of 2019.
we generated 118 million in AFFO that was consistent with 117 million from the first quarter of last year. And AFFO per share was $1.12, down 3% from the first quarter of 2019. Turning to slide nine, I'll provide an update on our commercial portfolio positions. For the remainder of 2020, our basal generation is 91% hedged at an average price in the mid $50 per megawatt hour. This compares to the current forward prices of $48 a megawatt hour. At the end of the quarter, we're 7% hedged for 2021 at an average contract price in the low $60 per megawatt hour range. For 22 and 23, we're 15 and 9% hedged at an average contract price in the low $50 per megawatt hour range for both years. This compares to current forward prices of $53 a megawatt hour for 2021 and 2022 and $51 a megawatt hour for 2023. I'll conclude my remarks by commenting on our strong financial position in liquidity on slide 10. Capital Power is generating strong cash flows, including over 300 million in discretionary cash flow in 2020. The pie chart on the slide shows our adjusted EBITDA forecast for the remaining nine months of 2020. As you can see, 83% of adjusted EBITDA are under contracts with an average PPA term remaining of 10 years. The PPAs are largely with investment grade counterparties. The remaining 17% of adjusted EBITDA is from Alberta merchant business and 13% of that is hedged. So our merchant exposure is only 4% for the balance of 2020. For our commercial industrial customer base in Alberta, one-third are investment grade, one-third have posted collateral, and the balance have some default risk that has been recognized in a $200,000 provision. In terms of liquidity, we have $900 million of available capacity on the $1 billion of committed credit facilities that mature in 2024. Currently, we do not anticipate the need to access the capital markets other than to potentially refinance the $250 million in debt maturing in November. In April, DBRS confirmed our triple B low credit rating with stable trends that was supported by a relatively stable long-term business risk and financial profile. With our expectations for 2020 unchanged, we are reaffirming our 2020 financial and dividend growth guidance. I'll now turn the call back to Brian. Brian, you have to unmute your call. Yep. Thanks, Brian. I'll review our first quarter performance versus our 2020 annual targets on show, as shown on slide 11. As mentioned, the first quarter was a busy quarter of planned outages resulting in an average facility availability of 91% compared to the 93% annual target. Sustaining CapEx were 16 million in the first quarter. With the deferral of the Genesee 2 planned outage to 2021, we expect sustaining CapEx will be below the 90 to $100 million annual target. We reported 200 million million in adjusted EBITDA in the first quarter versus the 935 million to 985 million target. 
and we generated 118 million of AFFO in the first quarter compared to the 500 to 550 million target range. Based on our current forecast, we are on track to be near the midpoint of the AFFO range while continuing to monitor the impacts from COVID-19. Slide 12 outlines our development and construction targets for 2020. This includes the construction of two wind projects. As mentioned earlier, we completed our Cardinal wind project on schedule and within the US dollar budget range. Following the start of commercial operations, we received 221 million in net tax equity financing from true to US financial institutions. Cardinal Point is now operating under a 12-year PPA for 85% of its output. The other wind project under construction is Whitlaw 2, which is currently tracking on budget and on schedule for COD in 2021. We have an annual target of 500 million of committed capital for growth. Our performance against that target includes the recent acquisition of Buckhorn Wind in Texas with a 15-year weighted average contract life remaining. To wrap up, I wanted to highlight Capital Power's investment thesis and reiterate how the long-term drivers of our business continue to be resilient. The foundation of our young fleet averaging 14 years in average uh, life, uh, will, uh, we continue to, be dem to demonstrate strong operational performance while continuing to optimize our assets to enhance operations and efficiency. We have a highly contracted and diversified portfolio by geography and by fuel mix. Our business generates strong cash flows, including more than 300 million in discretionary cash flow for 2020. We are committed to maintaining our investment grade credit rating with our two credit rating agencies, S&P and DBRS. Our growth is focused on investing in emission-free renewables, critical and critical natural gas generation. Our sustainability goals involve the transitioning of Genesee to natural gas and investing in carbon capture and utilization. Overall, our aspiration is to be carbon neutral on or before 2050. I'll now turn the call back over to Randy. Okay, thanks, Brian. Anesthesia, we're ready to start the question and answer session. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star then one on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star then two. We will pause for a moment as callers join the queue. Our first question comes from Maurice Choi with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thank you and good morning. <clears throat> My first question uh, relates to uh, the G4, G5 uh, decision. Um, I guess my question is uh, why make that decision right now as opposed to just wait and see. Uh, put differently, what has changed in your underlying thesis? So, I mean, obviously, you know, there's two partners involved in uh, G4 and G5, you know, ourselves and NMAX. And, you know, the status of it has been, you know, as we've characterized it, 
it's been on the shelf uh, and permitted in, in the event that there was a, a, a very rapid immediate need for generation in the province, it would be available. And our time frame for implementing it, you know, was being pushed out, you know, further and further with the outlook for power in the province. Um, the other thing that, that plays into it is that you know, as the fleet has evolved and the market has evolved, it's turned out that for capital power, a better choice for us at this point in deploying capital in, in the Alberta market would actually be repowering our existing units as opposed to building additional units. So, again, a lot's happened since you know, the initiation of uh, Genesee 4 and 5. And it's a solution that no longer fits the market. And I, and I guess, is there a tie-in to how you now view Willa 2, uh, which obviously remains a merchant project as it stands? Uh, no, no, un, unrelated to, uh, to uh, that project. Okay. Um, and my second question um, relates to Decatur. Um, Obviously, um, the last update we've had was that negotiations were ongoing. Uh, any update on that um, as well? as Could you actually elaborate on the modified outage uh, that happened on the plant? So, um, in terms of the uh, uh, where uh, discussions are on Decatur, uh, what's happened is that the COVID-19 has significantly impacted on the responsiveness of the counterparty given you know the, the level of activities that, that they would have had. Uh, so it slowed down the process uh, but I'm happy to say that you know where we are today is minor uh, legal issues uh, going back and forth but um, you know the, the frequency of going back and forth has definitely slowed down. You know, we are you know continue to be, uh, very hopeful and expecting uh, something to be uh, coming to resolution within the relatively near future. In respect of Decatur, um, because of the uh, issue of uh, utilization of sometimes uh, foreign expertise, uh, or you know, uh, not in North America, but also. Uh, the fact that we may have had to have moved the um, the rotor uh, to a facility to a different facility as opposed to doing it uh, on site, we did end up uh, making the decision that that was too risky at this point in time and could be easily deferred uh, and still go ahead with uh, the bulk of the outage. So that's what we have done, and uh, and the outage is uh, has gone very well. And is and is nearing uh, completion as we speak. Great, thank you very much. Our next question comes from David Kazada with Raymond James. Please go ahead. Thanks. Morning, everyone. Um, my my first question here, just um, maybe some thoughts around your hedging strategy for 2021. I know in the past you've uh, commented that you're, you're confident in the fundamentals uh, for the market, and that that prompted the lower hedge position. Wondering if your thoughts there uh, have evolved at all. Yes, um, uh, certainly. Given the uh, the reduction in oil prices, uh, 
we we have revised our outlook for uh, 2021. Um, prior prior to the uh, reduction in oil prices, we were seeing um, we were projecting uh, Alberta power prices would be north of sixty dollars a megawatt hour in 2021. A lot of that driven by uh, the fact that there's a large number of outages as, as companies look to move to additional gas fire generation capability at their units. Um, with uh, the, the reduction in oil demand uh, and uh, a solar recovery projected uh, over 21 and 22, uh, we do uh, look at 2021 as uh, approximately four to 500 megawatts of less demand in the Alberta market, um, which has uh, reduced our projections by approximately $7 a megawatt hour for the year. Um, what that's done is uh, brought us now uh, more or less in line with uh, current forward prices for the Alberta market. So to the extent opportunities arise, uh, we would see ourselves increase in our uh, position hedged in that year. Okay, great. Thank you. That's very helpful. And then uh, just my only other question on your on your 500 million of committed growth capital, uh, are, you, are you still confident that you're on track there with the investment in Buckthorn and maybe just some some general commentary on, on how your opportunity set is looking today, if possible? Sure. I, um, you know, certainly uh, we continue to have opportunities that we are pursuing on uh, the development of the renewable side and, you know, continue to be optimistic that uh, there'll be things developed through the year uh, on that front. So we'll see further investment from that perspective. Uh, in terms of the uh, midlife uh, natural gas side, uh, basically COVID-19 uh, stopped uh, that transactional market uh, pretty much overnight. Um, we do hear rumblings that um, that soon uh, opportunities will open up again, and there'll actually probably be a significant number of opportunities that are in the in the market. And again, you know, um, we're not compelled to having to make an investment, and uh, we'll only uh, pull the trigger on those assets and those opportunities that continue to make sense for capital power. Okay, great. I uh, appreciate the caller. I'll get back in the queue. Our next question comes from Patrick Kenny with National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, appreciate the financial guidance on the Buckthorn acquisition, but uh, just wondering if you could confirm your internal IRR expectations for the deal, maybe both on a unlevered and levered basis, and then just how these returns might compare to, say, Cardinal and Whitlaw 1? Yeah, the um, the returns uh, on a levered basis and anticipated for Buckthorn would be um, in the uh, 10 to 11% range on a levered basis. Um, and that would be consistent with our expectations for uh, Cardinal Point and uh, Whitlaw 1. Great. And then just on the turnaround for G2 uh, being pushed into 2021, does this have an impact on the timing for reaching 100% dual fuel capabilities across all three Genesee units and, um, and any impact on the increase in AFO, which 
I believe was 20 million or so for 2021. So I'll speak to the the um, the uh, moving uh, Genesee two into twenty twenty one still you know meets our our statement of uh, being uh, natural gas capable across the three units you know by twenty twenty one. Now just uh, Brian can can comment on the AFFO impact. Yeah, certainly. Uh... You know the the lift we were going to see on the AFFO side has is slightly lower now, um, and that's been driven by uh, uh, an increase in natural gas prices in Western Canada. So, uh, with the uh, decline in oil production, that's had a uh, related effect of putting upward pressure on uh, ACO prices. Uh, so certainly. That has, we're we're not forecasting to burn as much natural gas in 2021 as we were previously, um, but on the flip side, we do do those higher natural gas prices do help us in other areas such as um, uh, putting some upward pressure on on uh, power prices in Alberta. But but to your specific question, Pat, certainly uh, there there will be some downward pressure on that 20 million figure stated previously. Okay, got it. Thanks. And then also, Brian. So you mentioned uh, DBRS reaffirmed the credit rating. Uh, just wondering if we can get an update on any discussions you may have had recently with S&P, whether or not the stable outlook is currently under review, given Alberta's economic condition, um, and in light of your upcoming debt maturity in the fall. Maybe just how you're thinking about keeping some dry powder into the back half of 2020 and. Um, into 2021, given the open position there, you know, just maybe a general comment on how you're thinking about allocating free cash flow for the remainder of the year between M&A, debt repayment, NCIB activity, and so on. Yeah, so, uh, you know, in terms of SMP, uh, we typically uh, touch base with them uh, in the June timeframe. Uh, we'd be looking to do so again uh, this year. There's been no indication from their end that um, there are concerns uh, with, with uh, our financial position vis-a-vis uh, investment grade credit rating. Um, I can tell you, Pat, that our projections uh, for the balance of this year and next year is that uh, we will continue to meet those credit metrics uh, that uh, S&P is looking uh, for us to sustain for investment grade so we don't have concerns on that front. Um, as far as uh, capital allocation, uh, uh, as I mentioned, uh, we're still projecting uh, to generate over $300 million in discretionary cash flow uh, for 2020. Now, part of that, of course, did uh, go towards uh, uh, the, the, some of the growth activity we've, we've been doing and, and continued development of uh, uh, Whitlaw, or sorry, the Cardinal Point project. We'll be starting to look at um, uh, uh, capital costs on Whitlock too. Uh, as oh, as we look over the balance of the year, uh, at this point, not sure we'll need to go to the debt market. Uh, just given our positive cash flow position, that's something we'll monitor and evaluate as we move through the year. Um, uh, you know, uh, in terms of allocation M&A activity, certainly. Uh, if the right opportunity came along, a strong fit uh, that uh, was very was helpful from a 
cash flow position, it would be something we would consider. Uh, but certainly we do have uh, development expenditures still ongoing with, uh, with the construction of Whitlaw too. Okay, that's great. Last one for me here, guys. Uh, didn't see much of an update on C2C and T. Maybe I missed it, but can you comment on what impact this pandemic has had on, on the progress over at C2C and T, and uh, if any, but also maybe what milestones we could watch for, you know, through the back half of 2020 as it relates to the uh, the Genesee Carbon Conversion Center. Sure. Um, what's happened at uh, C2CNT, uh, as, as you recall, it's part of the Carbon X Prize, and it's a group of uh, interests that are um, uh, working with uh, the emissions from the Shepherd facility. And um, one of the uh, first closures that happened, you know, in the province, and obviously being run by a provincial entity, you know, that site was totally shut down. And uh, the um, the C two C and T group were able to move uh, a fair amount of their activities to a warehouse and continue on more of the the uh, some fabrication and working on uh, some of the technology side. But it certainly has created a, uh, an impediment for them to to continue to moving at the same pace. Consistent with that, the X Prize timing has moved out as well. So um, I would characterize what's essentially happened is, is a bit of a pause, um, although you know still significant developments taking place. But in the overall time frame, I would say you know, at the end of the day, the pandemic will probably have costed about a quarter in relation to timing. So you know, do you know continue to expect that you know we'll uh, uh, continue to. Uh, move forward on uh, the Genesee Carbon Conversion Center. Uh, do expect that it'll be built uh, and uh, reach uh, uh, COD uh, sometime uh, next year. But again, probably the whole schedule has been moved by about a quarter. And don't expect any further delays at this point. All right, appreciate the updates. I'll leave it there. Thanks, guys. Our next question comes from Mark Jarvie with CIBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning, everyone. just wanted to go back to the uh, capital allocation discussion, just maybe fine-tune some responses there in terms of use of cash, and would you want to hold a little bit higher liquidity right now, given some of the uncertainty going forward, and what's the willingness to be active on the buyback at the current levels right now? So um, generally, the the excess cash at this point in time is uh, being used to um, uh, pay down debt, and of course, uh, uh, some development spend on Whitlock too. Um, as I mentioned, we're in good shape relative to our credit metrics, uh, but certainly um, uh, want to want to be mindful of uh, maintaining that. So we wouldn't see doing any. Share buybacks in the, in the near term, uh, we would see that positive cash flow to uh, to paying down uh, the credit lines and um, funding development activity. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then just the comments on the hedges in terms of, and even just your expectations for where power prices should net out in 2021. The fact that you didn't add that much more 
um, to your 2021 hedges? Is that just a function of there not being liquidity in the forward market? Uh, yeah, currently um, the there there hasn't been or I, there hasn't been uh, recently a lot of liquidity in the forward market. Uh, however, uh, we do expect that liquidity will start to ramp up. In particular, as we get through uh, towards um, sort of the August-September time frame, at that point, uh, the regula regulated rate option, the providers of that service, uh, start to enter the market looking for, for hedging. So uh, that's where we'll uh, expect li liquidity to increase. Um, but also, I think as we, we come out of uh, COVID-19 and, and reopening in the Alberta market, uh, that'll also uh, support liquidity. So uh, given we see an alignment now between forward prices and our expectations, uh, we would see that hedging percentage increase as we move through the year. Okay. Um, and then you made your comment about where you thought maybe demand had come off here. What do you guys think is going to ultimately happen in terms of other people's plans for new supply, like the Cascade project, which is quite large, or some of the co-gen stuff. Do you think all that's been delayed or pushed out, or, or is there any concerns from your part that people continue to go forward with adding new capacity here? No, you know, certainly uh, we we've, uh, we saw the announcement from Suncor, which was at a minimum they've pushed out uh, that project uh, by two years, uh, which takes it to at least the end of 2025, if not beyond. Um, you know, uh, we would expect uh, uh, other development projects uh, will definitely uh, get deferred, delayed, or if not outright, uh, just uh, canceled, uh, given the environment. You know, the one thing that we see as a real positive uh, for the Alberta market as we move into um, the lower demand as compared to what we saw happen in 2015 is uh, the supply side will be a lot more responsive. Um, so yeah, to those uh, growth projects we see, those we expect will be deferred, um, if not cancelled, uh, but also uh, all the PPAs will have expired at the end of this year, so all the output in the Alberta market will be in the hands of commercial entities, uh, which uh, will result in um, uh, supply-side response um, to a much greater degree than what we would have seen in 2015, uh, which will, will support uh, power prices in the, in the face of uh, the lower demand we're seeing. Okay, and just one last question. Just on that long-term service agreement for, uh, for Vestas and the turbines, how does that roll out? You know, talks between 2021 and 2023. Is that just a steady rollout of a, a incremental pickup every year, or any other incremental colors you can give on on how those savings come in? Yeah, you know, it, it, a reasonable assumption is that it would it would phase out uh, evenly over those years. Um, so uh, generally, uh, we have uh, staggered renewal dates uh, going through, um, and that the profile would be more or less linear. Okay, that's great. Thanks, guys. Our next question comes from Robert Hope with Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Um, hello, everyone. Just uh, one question for me. I um, just want to get a sense of how you're looking at the balance of 2020. In a world where we could see oil sands curtailments, how do you think the, the behind-the-fence generation will respond to uh, 
to that. Could we see that as an area which could help balance the market there? Uh, yes, we believe so. Um, uh, certainly, we've seen some cogen units that that have uh, pulled back. Um, some of that due to maintenance, uh, but but we believe some of that due to uh, reduced production. Um, so yeah, we do believe that's another element supporting uh, market pricing as we move forward. And then maybe you know you, you did mention where you saw uh, your view of 2021 pricing based on the forward curve. How does 2020 look for the rest of the year? Yeah, 2020 has uh, come off. Um, so uh, slightly below $50 a megawatt hour. Um, but for us, of course, not much of an impact given uh, over 90% of our baseload generation is hedged. Uh, the one thing I would comment on, and this goes back to uh, uh, a previous question, is when we look beyond uh, 2021 into 22 and 23, we do see Alberta power prices uh, continuing to strengthen. and. Of course, that's related to the fact that uh, the Suncor Cogen has been pushed out, but but we believe other supply additions will also be deferred. So, um, although we've seen uh, a softening of power prices for 21, we do see a strong outlook for 22 and 23. I appreciate the color. Thank you. Our next question comes from Ben Pham with BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi, thanks. Good morning. Uh, on your comment around the power price uh, strength in 22-23, uh, could you comment on your expectation on on where you think the long-term Alberta power price should be? Has that has that changed from your investor day commentary? No, uh, it, it would be uh, similar, if not slightly higher. Uh, so with the with the strengthening in uh, natural gas prices, that does uh, put upward pressure on our view of what a long-run uh, uh, price should be in the Alberta power market. But uh, yeah, not significantly different than what we would have talked about at Investor Day. Okay, and if that's, the case, and it, it sounds like some of this is supply-driven as, as well with some of your competition. When you think about Gen 4 and 5, then it seems like your burn cost on that was probably pretty low. So I'm a little bit surprised, um, just to your earlier commentary um, from Maurice, that you're, you're not moving forward. So it sounds like if, if GE's willing to honor the CapEx, and there's no upfront payment near term, then it sounds like it, it's more driven by your partner than us driving this decision? I, I would say um, it's probably more driven by the fact that, as, as Brian Vaggio mentioned, um, there's a different configuration that makes more sense than uh, standalone combined cycle facilities, which is the, the technology we were looking at for Genesee 4 and 5. So uh, we've done a lot more work around repowering and what that could look like. And so at that site, uh, doing a repowering of one of the existing units, which of course would utilize the, the existing uh, steam turbine and uh, would utilize the uh, existing generators, that is a configuration that we believe makes more sense now than uh, standalone combined cycle units. Okay, 
Okay. Okay. Um, and do you do you think Nmax could potentially come back as as a buyer of some of that that power potentially, or are you comfortable with, with going spot if you were to bring it back in, in some different form? Uh, I'll turn that question over to to Brian. So you know, certainly, um, you know, if if we cross the bridge in terms of deciding to uh, repower uh, one of the units. Um, I mean, we'd, we'd definitely be looking for off takers. I would suggest that that would be unlikely other than, you know, what, what you find in, in the market normally wouldn't believe that Nmax would necessarily, uh, want to, uh, to participate in the project and, and, uh, move in that direction. And, and again, that's, and that's maybe a, a question be, better to be asked of uh, of Nmax, but uh, um, but it is definitely a better technical solution and market responsive solution today for Capital Power to uh, repower one of its units. So um, it just became a fact that that the answer that was on the shelf and sort of the no cost option to carry it came to a point where if, if it was needed, it wouldn't make sense to pull the trigger on that project anyway. Okay. And, and you're a, a pop on your long-term service agreements. Uh, was there a process you guys looked at on bringing some of that stuff in house? Yeah. So, uh, we, uh, we did quite a bit of work, uh, behind the scenes, understanding, uh, uh, an alternative where we would uh, uh, self-manage or self-perform uh, on our renewable facilities, and uh, you know um, we we have seen new entrants into North America that are willing to provide those services as an alternative to the original equipment manufacturer. So um, we were looking closely at at those uh, other alternatives and actually had developed uh, price points that we thought uh, we could move to and, and perform. What we saw happen was uh, Vestas actually was able to meet those price points uh, while continuing to provide uh, a full service. So for us it became, you know, we, we, we had a good view of that, but we Vestas was able to step up and, and match those perspectives, so we're really happy where we landed uh, with Vestas in that regard. All right, sounds like you got a good deal. Okay, thanks, everybody. Our next question comes from Andrew Kuski with Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, obviously, it was a volatile quarter in Q1, but maybe you could give us some color and context on how your optimization strategies evolved over the quarter and how you're really positioning yourself for the remainder of the year. So in terms of our optimization, a lot of what what we were doing was through outages, you know, through the Genesee 2 outage, um, through what we were doing at Decatur and Arlington. And, you know, Arlington's been completed and uh, very happy with, with the work that took place there. As I mentioned earlier, we had modified the Decatur outage just from a risk management perspective. Um, but you know we'll be we'll be picking up that element uh, later. So 
not really a, a significant impact there. The, the, the largest one, of course, being the movement of, of, of Genesee 2, which, you know, given the, the work that was uh, the upfront work that needed to be taking place at the plant and the fact that we'd be uh, utilizing uh, foreign expertise that would have to come to Canada and so on, um, at one point we had moved it, you know, into uh, uh, and we're, we're, we're working towards potentially moving it into the fall. Ended up moving it into next year because it it continued to just not be practical and not being a, a, a risk worth uh, worth taking. So, um, in terms of the overall program, continue to be you know moving forward. It uh, nothing's been been changed. The in, in actual fact. Um, what's happened because of COVID-19 and uh, looking at, at, at different parts of the business, we've a- actually accelerated uh, some of the developments that, that we had planned on moving forward with. So, for example, you know, I commented that, that, you know, we can now operate, you know, our, uh, our uh, simple cycle units uh, all from laptops, which is something that we were working towards. And we'd actually had, you know, worked out in the technology and made some choice, but that would have been taking place over, you know, a couple of years. We just accelerated it. So there's a number of things like that from a development perspective that and optimization that we just moved ahead very quickly, um, not only on the, on the facility side, but, you know, on the, uh, I'll say on the, uh, the uh, support services side as well. Okay, that's helpful. And then I, I think the number that was given earlier on was your expectations and your projections were for 450 megawatt hours of effectively demand destruction in the current environment uh, for 2020. So how do you think about just coal setting the marginal price in the market now and in the future years? Like what percentage of time has that really changed in your modeling forecasts? Yeah, it... Uh, um for, for the balance of this year, uh, we would see the uh, um, uh, coal units uh, on the margin more often. Uh, not able to provide a specific percentage, but um, certainly that that would be the case. Now, as we move into 2021, of course, uh, those units uh, will be moving to dual fuel or, or conversion 100% to natural gas. So, um, uh, uh, certainly see a bit different dynamic uh, in terms of how those units respond. It'll really depend on, you know, what happens with carbon pricing and natural gas prices. And then finally, if I may, and you, you, you see no change to carbon pricing as it's been laid up by the federal government at this stage? Uh, no, we don't. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Our next question comes from John Mould with DTD Securities. Please go ahead. Morning. Uh, just a couple of questions on the Genesee dual fuel timing. So with, with the G2 outage moved to 2021, can you, can you clarify when each outage enabling 100% dual fuel operations is now planned for each of the units? And can you confirm where your dual fuel capability level is expected to be for the balance of 2020 with the G2 outage deferred but following the completion of the Pembina Ketels pipeline? Yeah, so uh, for 2020, we've um, uh, continued, of course, with the interconnection of higher gas capacity 
um, at uh, at the Genesee site, so that that line has been completed. Uh, so uh, with some uh, uh, upgrades we've made, um, we actually see uh, a bit higher percentage uh, gas-fired capability for the balance of 2020. Um, you know, towards the 40% range from 30%. Uh, the uh, for for 2021, um, all those conversions would be uh, uh, still planned to take the units to be able to do 100% uh, firing on natural gas. Okay, and are those spread out over the balance of the year rather than weighted all towards the normal Q2 kind of outage shoulder season? Yeah, I think if you check the outage schedule, um, you can kind of glean that. Um, uh, we do have a couple of the units uh, in Q2, and, and one of them is uh, scheduled for the fall in 2021. Okay, all of my other questions have been answered. Thanks very much. Once again, if you have a question, please press star, then one. Our next question comes from Najee Baidun with Industrial Alliance Securities. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Just uh, one quick question for me. Um, can you give us your latest uh, thoughts and expectations um, on the IESO's review process in Ontario and uh, how that might impact uh, your portfolio uh, in the province going forward? Yeah, so uh, the, you know, the uh, government there has put on hold their review of um, uh, capacity market design. Uh, certainly, they're still looking at um, bilateral contracting uh, approaches. Uh, but of course, our thermal assets in Ontario were all hedged through to the end of the next decade. So, um, you know, near-term tweaks to that market uh, generally won't affect uh, our financial position on those units. Uh, but longer term, it is something we'll be engaging in and monitoring as uh, discussion on Ontario market design continues. But again, it's not something that really affects us financially until the end of the next decade, or the end of this decade, I guess. Thank you. This concludes the question and answer session. I'd like to turn the conference back over to Mr. Randy Ma for any closing remarks. Okay, if there are no more further questions, we will conclude our call. Thanks again for joining us today and for your interest in Capital Power. Stay healthy and have a good day, everyone. This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating and have a pleasant day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.